It's the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast for Thursday, September 17, 2020. On today's episode, the Code St. Luke Library's Stephen Tomlinson is here. He's going to be talking about his experience going to see an actual real-life movie in an actual real-life cinema. He has a very detailed uh, story to tell. It's quite enjoyable to listen to, uh, to hear how things have changed, and his sort of eerie experience going to a movie that was where he was basically the only person watching in a huge uh, cinema. Uh, he also gets into um, watching 70 millimeter film. This is not a digitally uh, distributed movie. This is on film and it has a different aesthetic and he talks about that. And the actual uh, movie that he went to see that he's gonna talk about is Christopher Nolan's Tenet. That's uh, a movie I'm, uh, I'm interested in seeing too. I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan, including uh, one of his first films, Memento, which is one of my favorites which I recommend. Uh, but I'll leave the rest of the recommendations to Stephen. Here is Stephen Tomlinson. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Lockdown Viewing with Code St. Luke librarian Stephen Tomlinson. That's me. And for the next 20 minutes or more, I'll be talking about movies and television while providing some recommendations for what to watch and where to watch them. Today, however, I will be departing somewhat from my usual format in discussing my trip to the movies on my day off last Monday. Yes, an actual movie theater I went to, to see a real live movie. I'll be reviewing that film and also talking generally about the state of the movies in late 2020, especially in relation to the future of theatrical exhibition in the context of these pandemic times. Tenet, the movie that I saw on Monday, of course, is the big new time-twisting science fiction action-adventure film from writer-directors Christopher Nolan, known for such very ambitious, high-concept early movies as Memento, The Prestige, Inception, Interstellar, the very influential Batman trilogy with Christian Bale, and Dunkirk his previous movie from 2017. Now, Monday was the first time I had been to a movie theater in, well, I don't know exactly how long, certainly well before the closing of theaters in the spring and early summer this year. I have been following fairly closely and even reported upon here the news about the continual postponement and even repostponement, as it turns out, of one big budgeted Hollywood movie after another, which continues apace even now. The exception so far being Disney's Mulan, which has gone directly to VOD, Video On Demand, on Disney Plus for $29.99. That's what you have to pay in order to see it, on top of the subscription cost to that very streaming service itself which is, you may not be surprised to learn, meeting some resistance. But more about that later. The one big movie that has gone ahead with a theatrical release in recent months is, in fact, the movie that I saw on Monday, Tenet, which um, opened at the end of August here in Montreal, as well as elsewhere around the world, um, where most theaters have reopened. Um, but only a week later in the United States, where as of this week, about 70% of theaters are 
open outside big markets in New York and California, a very significant factor, it has to be said, and you'll soon learn why I say that. Um, myself, I did delay seeing Tenet until this week, that is about three weeks after it debuted in Montreal, worried as I am, like many, maybe most people, um, seemingly, about entering into such a closed public space with, um, <laughs> with, with strangers for a few hours. Um, I had also monitored the attendance these past few weekends of screenings at uh, Cineplex Max Scotia downtown, where the movie is playing in several different formats, including 70mm film, which um, was especially especially exciting to uh, for a geek like me. Now, I knew the attendance would be down, as it has been across the board everywhere in the world. So on Monday, checking the Cineplex website, I was fairly confident that there would be few tickets sold for that, um, that 70 Miller screening that I wanted to attend. And wait a bit, I will explain why as I go on. But uh, indeed, that was in fact the case. In fact, for the 5 p.m. screening on Monday, there were exactly zero <laughs> tickets sold when I had checked less, less than an hour beforehand. So... Living within walking distance of that theater, I purchased a ticket, confidently, confidently selected my reserved seat, in this case, G11, row G, seat 11, having noted all the health and social distancing measures in place after many previous perusals of the, perusals of the website, including the supposed cleaning of said theater seating spaces between screenings, and deep cleaning each night of theaters and exterior touch points, quote-unquote, as they're called. Now, I, I did worry that, um, that someone might still be able to purchase a seat next to me. Uh, I don't know if that's paranoia or not, or whether just a, um, a well-founded fear in these um, pandemic times. But I could soon see on the website after logging out and then logging in again that this was not, in fact, possible. The seat next to me was now unavailable for purchase, as were those in my immediate, very immediate vicinity. It turns out only a single purchaser, in fact, at the time of purchase online, can select two seats and no more than two seats together. Now, Cinema Bank Scotia is, as you may know, a very, very large space <laughs> comprising about 12 individual theater auditoriums altogether. I did arrive about 20 minutes ahead of the scheduled screening of 5 p.m. And the first thing that struck me as I entered the ground floor of the four-story complex was, despite the relatively large number of pedestrians that I passed on the sidewalks outside, that there was quite a paucity of people inside the building. Now, usually there are any number of people milling about inside, you know, staring at the movie posters, standing in line at the box office or purchasing tickets uh, through an automated kiosk. But instead, this time, there was just one person, a single masked employee <laughs> standing to the side of the closed-off box office space 
who, as I approached, glanced at the screen of my phone, you know, which I, I, I proffered before her, on which she could see the, um, the purchased online and um, downloaded ticket. I then asked the employee a couple of questions regarding, you know, um, rules and behavior and was informed that it was necessary to keep my mask on at all times, except when seated in the theater itself, and that I must only sit in the seat that I had purchased for the screening. She was, she was quite, uh, quite definite about that. She also informed me that the theater in which I would be watching the film, in this case, number 11, was on the fourth floor of the complex. So journeying on the escalators upwards, I, I noticed that there were still no patrons in view. I mean, uh, how odd this all felt. I can't emphasize enough, you know, what a, what a large space it is. And it felt a little eerie to be nearly alone within it. But once I reached the, um, the top of the second floor, I could see, I could see two, two masked patrons at the only concessions counter that the employee below had also told me would, um, would be open. But beyond them, no one, no one at all, except two, um, two employees masked, of course, at that, uh, at that very same concessions counter. Uh, I must admit I was very hungry, so I did stop to get some popcorn after applying a dose of hand sanitizer, it must be said, and was slightly pleased to be informed that the cost of a large size, a uh, large bag of popcorn was under $10. I, I had been fearing that it would be um, over that amount. After making the purchase and, you know, the employee handing it to me, <laughs> he said, and uh, I think it perhaps was only the circumstances that I, I read something, you know, rather ominous uh, into this. He said, good luck <laughs> as I as I walked away. <laughs> uh, and then still with um, no one else in sight except except a, a single other employee, you know, um, walking across my sightline somewhere unknown, but with my large size popcorn bag clasped to my chest and definitely trying not to spill any of the, uh, the overflow of which there was much, I continued my, my, my trip upwards. Noting two further patrons um, descending the parallel escalator next to me. But when I reached the fourth floor, I could see again no one at all. No one at all, despite the several individual theater entrances all around the large central space through which I now walked in search of theater number 11. While also noting, as I did so, a, a drinking fountain with a closed sign above it because of COVID-19, it said. Now... I have expected an employee to materialize somewhere at around this point to verify my ticket as I located and entered theater number 11, but in fact, no one did. With few employees, I thought to myself that there must have been a lot of layoffs, perhaps, or furloughs, I think we now call them, nor were any patrons inside my theater. As I climbed the stairs and found my seat, G11 again, as I said earlier, <laughs> About two-thirds of the way up from the screen below, I reflected silently, of course. I, I, I haven't quite reached the point of, <laughs> of talking to myself in public spaces. Uh, talking to myself aloud, it should be pointed out. 
and, you know, reflected somewhat to my delight on the pleasurable notion, it has to be said, of having my own very private screening. Then, you know, sitting down, getting comfortable and beginning to munch um, quite uh, ravenously on my popcorn, which I eventually finished before the movie itself began. Now, you might ask at this point why I chose a 70 millimeter screening to, to attend instead of a of a one in IMAX or AVX or even just a plain regular digital screening. Well, I am a movie geek and I am fairly old. So it was, it was, I have to be said, <laughs> partly in my belief that such a thing would be, you know, less well attended, but mostly it was also in the knowledge that I might never again have the chance to see a 70 millimeter projected movie. That is a movie projected on celluloid film. I mean, even in the days before the digital revolution, seeing a movie projected in 70 millimeters was not a common experience. Most film screenings were in 35 millimeter, and the difference being, um, quite roughly, the larger resolution in the image itself. I mean, in older days, 70 millimeter film was associated with, although they didn't call, they didn't use this phrase at the time, event cinema. You know, um, biblical epics, for example, in the 1950s. You know, um, big movies, what we would today call blockbusters, superhero films, that sort of thing. Uh, no, that's not my dog barking. Um, nevertheless, um, I would have expected that few theaters today would even be equipped with the necessary projectors to show um, 70 millimeter old style prints. And that means that a 70 millimeter film has to be shipped to uh, a location in old style canisters, usually quite, uh, quite a number of them. And, um, uh, all in all, in old, older days, that was an expensive process and is one of the reasons why um, the industry has shifted to almost exclusively um, digital screenings, which um, have a um, minimal expense, at least in that regard. Now, few filmmakers today are committed to making films on celluloid, old-style film stock. Today, films are shot almost entirely with digital cameras only. Though Tenet's filmmaker, Christopher Nolan, is one of those filmmakers still committed to celluloid. Quentin Tarantino is another. Indeed, celluloid film is almost, almost an obsolete format. And so I was very pleasantly surprised that Bank Scotia still had an old-style projector capable of playing a 70 millimeter print. And that this might be, I was very conscious of, my last chance to see one. There are those connoisseurs who dispute the aesthetic difference between the quality of digital and celluloid projection, some finding in the former an image just too glossy, and without the finely textured, if grainy detail of celluloid film, I'm not so sure myself. I've, I've, I've really 
quite easily and comfortably made the transition to digital, I think. Um, and, and others, it has to be said, see, you know, very little difference between the two in any case. Um, most people who watch movies today, whether they're at home um, or in theaters, are barely conscious of the difference, I would, I would, I would, I would hazard to guess. Nevertheless, in returning to that moment in the theater on Monday at, um, at just a few minutes past 5 p.m. for the movie, had not yet started, not even the commercials and previews that I would have expected to precede it. So for a moment, I worried that, you know, it's past five o'clock, the movie hasn't started. Maybe an employee <laughs> might make an appearance at the bottom of the auditorium to announce to its sole inhabitant, me, that the screening had been cancelled for lack of sales. <laughs> no, ridiculous. And I soon said to myself, that's just not going to happen. And you know, it didn't. It didn't. The, the film soon began, probably at just about five minutes past five. And much to my surprise, without any commercials, public service announcements, or previews at all, I mean, that's unheard of today. That's unheard of today. Um, you know, I mean, as you know, it... Um, as you probably know, it can often take up to 15 minutes or more <laughs> before the beginning of the actual movie itself. So I was, I was, I was, I was actually quite genuinely shocked when, when none of that happened. Instead, the, the, or a familiar Warner Brothers introduction, um, appeared, you know, um, I think the more recent one, uh, I'm not quite sure how recent it is, but it's the uh, it's the one you're, you're probably familiar with, you know, in which uh, there's a, um, a kind of a, a yellow toned um, overhead, slightly, you know, um, blurry shot of a studio lot and, um, you know, with um, Warner Brothers emblazoned over it. Um, and uh, it, it only lasts a few seconds. And the, the film itself began. And if I remember correctly, with few, if any, titles at all, um, before launching me directly into a highly kinetic opening moment of an opening scene, rather, it lasts about five or more minutes, um, of an apparent paramilitary or terrorist assault on a, on a, on a crowded, luxurious opera house somewhere, um, in Ukraine, as it would, as 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 I would, was uh, as I would learn. Um, but also at about this point in the movie, I also observed um, below me that um, that I would in fact not be alone, as it turned out, as I could see two um, separate couples enter the auditorium and find their seats, distant from me, but also from each other. Um, I think it's interesting to note. Now, a few other things soon occurred to me as well. Um, the dialogue, the dialogue after the initial assault, uh, well, even during the initial assault was very, very hard to make out, even indecipherable at times. Now, I had read much about the film beforehand, so I was aware that this might be the case that I might have trouble um, understanding all of the dialogue. And that, that turned out to be so. That turned out to be so. But, but as bad as it was, 
I definitely did not anticipate that. Um, there have been many complaints online about the sound mixing in the film. Uh, and myself, I concluded by the end of it that I probably only ever made out about half of the dialogue. <laughs> I know, crazy, crazy. And I, I, I do like to watch things at home with closed captions wherever possible and had toyed with the idea of asking how I might go about um, watching a screening where possible. Um, as I understand, this is the case with digital screenings um, with a form of closed captions. Um, uh, and, and definitely after my experience of Tenet, I, I am definitely going to, um, to try this um, and this next time. Indeed, after the film, I asked about it afterwards with um, with um, with one of the employees downstairs. In fact, the only employee downstairs, and was informed that um, what would happen in the future if I wanted to do this is that I would receive a kind of rectangular bar. Uh, it would have to be for a digital screening, and um, if I understood correctly, all you do is you just um, place that bar on your lap in order to to read the closed captions. Now. Awkward, I thought to myself, but but certainly an advantage in watching again a movie like Tenet. And um, maybe if I return to see it a second time in IMAX, I will I will do so. Especially as I should have no worries about, <laughs> about it bothering anyone next to me, as I, I don't think there will be anyone next to me. Nevertheless, the sound mix, the sound mix of this film, however bad, hardly mattered to my overall enjoyment of the spectacle. And after about 10 minutes into the film, I, 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 just, I just gave up on trying to follow the plot of the film for the most part. I just gave, over, I just gave myself over to the sensory experience of it all. And um, indeed, it was probably at about this, um, this same point in the movie that a scientist character, uh, I don't know how self-reflexive this is or how aware of the problem that this might be, um, but uh, but uh, a scientist character in the film actually tells the protagonist, uh, actually helpfully entitled the protagonist. That that's what his character is called. He doesn't he doesn't have a um, you know a, um, a, <laughs> a typical name like Stephen. Um, you know, not to bother trying to understand the science of what is going on. She. Um, a science that she calls um, a time inversion. Um, instead, she says, just feel it. <laughs> so basically, that's, that's what I, um, that's how I engaged the film. I, I just felt it for the next uh, two hours and 20 minutes remaining. <laughs> so, um, uh, this is also a pretty good example of how linear storytelling is often something I would say of secondary concern in a Christopher Nolan movie. And that, as it turns out, will certainly be the case here. But I'm kind of used to that in movie going. I see a lot of um, art house fare anyway, where, where plots are not always so important to, to the overall enjoyment of the film. 
Something else quite interesting about Tenet is its high-mindedness. You you might almost think that you need a PhD in physics to understand what's going on, if that is, in fact, uh, a concern, uh, because it certainly does have a fixation on such weighty concepts, um, such weighty physical physics uh, concepts as entropy, quantum mechanics, and the illusory flow of time, I think it might be described as, as um, this, this very much is a kind of mind-bending narrative, or not as much as I anticipated it, 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 it um, beforehand, it has to be said, though um, the subject is a, a kind of um, time inversion in the words of the of some of the characters in the film, in which um, at at some points time actually flows both forward and backwards simultaneously, and it's quite it's quite fascinating to see how the filmmakers convey this uh, visually. It's 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 it's, it's, it's even a thrill I would I, I would say to watch, and it's really only in movies that um, we can even conceive of such a thing happening and it's very much to the genius of Christopher Nolan that he's able to achieve that certainly one of the triumphs of the movie but I, I can see that it's something that you really have to experience in order to understand just returning to the dialogue for a moment knowing how much of an obsessive that Christopher Nolan is in exercising control over his films I have to wonder if he hadn't deliberately obscured much of the dialogue in order to get us to concentrate on the visuals in the way that the visuals, at least to some extent, do effectively convey the storyline on their own. And I think that's true. And some has claimed that Although I don't think he has said this himself, that, that Nolan has done this deliberately. But, you know, I, I have to think that it seems somewhat unlikely to me that he would do that, given how much dialogue there is in his films, even here. And, and why would he? However cerebral, he's still a commercial filmmaker, you know, working well within the um, confines of the Hollywood studio system, however important a single figure he is, and a very successful one at that. I mean, why would he deliberately antagonize his audience? And if you follow online comments about the film, you can see that some feel that way. I myself am not one of them. Nevertheless, and whatever the case, one witty critic has daubed the problem Mission indecipherable. It is the spy film at heart, uh, after all. And it may be a good thing that I, that I read a few plot summaries before seeing Tenet, though I only did this to maximize my enjoyment, it has to be said. I understand that most people would not feel that way. But for me, the idea of the plot is often secondary anyway, to, to you know, secondary to a greater overarching aesthetic experience. Or such is what I tell myself in moments when I can't follow a plot. In any case... I'm used to and very tolerant of the art house experience. And I think it's, I think it's interesting that Tenet, however much a blockbuster it is, is also partaking in that very artsy tradition of highbrow, almost plot-irrelevant cinema. 
Another thing that I soon noticed after the beginning of the film was that I was indeed watching an unmistakably celluloid image, not a digital one. For in addition to the rich, slightly grainy image, there were two, sometimes three parallel scratches on the film itself that ran through its almost entire two and a half hour duration. Now, that kind of flaw is impossible with digital film and kind of analogous to the physical imperfections that might come with an often played vinyl record. But how could that be the case here with a print that can't, can't, have, can't have even been in circulation more than a couple of weeks? Anyway, well, being clearly perceptible as a flaw, uh, that in no way detracted from my enjoyment ahead either. And, and really only finding myself calling attention to it <laughs> Um, a few times later on, and, and, and almost in a nostalgic way, recalling directly, as it does an earlier, earlier era of uh, a film going. It's almost like playing a record and kind of, you know, in an almost nostalgic way, enjoying, you know, the, the occasional scratch that, that you might hear. There's something um, almost kind of warm and cozy about that. Maybe it's just my, um, my, my aging ways. Um, that uh, they can reflect upon that in however um, eccentric uh, a manner. It also occurred to me that this is probably related to why, that this is a celluloid film, related to why there were no commercials, PSAs, and previews before the movie. They all would have been in digital, and maybe therefore the switchover was impossible or too cumbersome or not worth the trouble, given that I was the only person in attendance when the film began. And what did I make of the movie itself? Well, it, as I said, I, I, I enjoyed it um, for the most part, especially, um, you know, in just being able to unwind in a movie theater, you know, um, just to go along for the ride and, you know, in, in the face of a, a big budget movie um, that, you know, that knows what it's doing at heart, um, you know, and in doing so, just, just giving myself over to the beautifully shot spectacle of it all, um, in this case, uh, photographed by one of Nolan's um, um, cinematographer regulars, uh, Hoyt Van Hoytema, uh, who shot the last James Bond movie, um, um, Spectre, uh, I might add. And it's, it's an experience, um, as that character within the film might, might suggest, it's an experience that um, is, is much better felt I think, then, com com comprehensibly understood. And I suspect that's, that's something that, um, that, that Nolan may have intended. I certainly liked it and felt emotionally invested enough to see it again a second time, this time to concentrate on the plot and unpick the clues that hopefully might bring it all together, provided, of course, that closed captions are available to me. But all in all, Tenet is definitely a highly audacious work, an exotic, high-concept espionage mind-bender that is very much in keeping with pushing the boundaries of the blockbuster, just like his Dark Knight trilogy, Inception, and Interstellar have done before it. And Tenet even exceeded my considerable expectations in this regard. Its story, of course, did leave me scratching my head at times, but it's such a big screen spectacle that speeds along at a dizzying pace that I, I really found that bothersome. In the lead is Black Klansman star John David Washington, who plays an unnamed spy, known 
only as the protagonist. Um, we see him early on and after the siege of the Opera House, recruited by a mysterious CIA-like operative who tells him that his mission concerns preventing, and I quote here, something worse than World War III. It's a journey that will see him first travel to India to trace the origins of a rather unique bullet, while teaming up with Neil, a suave, very rakish, and quite English, almost Bond-like uh, Robert Pattinson, the actor. Indeed, such characteristics might also describe the Washington character himself, except the latter is obviously American. Now, enter the villain of the piece, a quite vile, violent, incredibly wealthy Russian arms dealer named Andre Sator, played by a sensational scene-stealing Kenneth Branagh, who is, as we learned, somehow a broker in touch with the future. Washington's protagonist soon discovers that the best way to get to Branagh's character is through his willowy English wife, an art appraiser named Cat, played here by Elizabeth Debicki, who's the mother of Yandre's young son, who, and she, she is really quite desperate um, to escape his stranglehold. Branna's character's stranglehold, of course. And then we're really off. Now, I won't bother trying to explain the rest of the plot, but these are the basics upon which everything else follows, except that, as Washington's character learns, the Branna's character possesses a future-based technology to invert objects or even people to send them back through time for quite a nefarious purpose in the end, as it turns out. And that's, that's all you really need to know. Forever for however complicated the references to theoretical physics, and however ambitious and high-minded this movie is, at heart it is still a spy movie. If one that leaves most other such films looking a little infantile by way of comparison. Especially my beloved James Bond franchise, which this movie most clearly resembles, at least in its basic genre affiliation, its draw-dropping set pieces, beautifully dressed characters, and really quite exotic border-hopping surface sheen. It's a good-looking movie. Something else that I would relate this movie to, at least in terms of the dynamic between the quite similar characters, is the superb, very stylish, and recentish adaptation of John le Carré's The Night Manager, which also features a secret agent infiltrating the lives of a, a vile, super-rich arms dealer whose girlfriend is also played by Elizabeth Debicki. And who, in The Night Manager, also aligns herself with the cause of the agent in part to get out of a bad relationship. Or such is how I recall it in any case. But you know, in some ways, it's almost not enough to enjoy Tenant for its own sake. I mean, through no fault of its own, this single movie has been invested with the hopes of many in the film industry that it helps save the very idea of traditional, big-budget, big-scale theatrical exhibition. With movie theaters really struggling right now, it has to be said, as, as evidenced by my own account, if nothing else, even operating at a loss, as I understand things. Being the first blockbuster to be released for public viewing since COVID-19 has taken over our lives, Tenet has also become the yardstick by which the studios and distributors are deciding what to do next 
with all the other blockbusters whose releases are left waiting in the wings, deferred to an often unspecified later time, while we see how this pandemic plays itself out. Nevertheless, when you think about it, a highly cerebral, willfully cryptic movie with perhaps intentionally hard-to-hear dialogue, and a storyline that almost requires multiple viewings, now, that, that, that is a tough sell at the best of times, um, and especially today in welcoming nervous moviegoers back to theaters. So, in a way, a movie that many had hoped would, would save movie theaters may end up in some sense, condemning them in the long run, if, if I don't sound too apocalyptic in, in making such a pronouncement. I say this because it's no secret that box office returns for Tenet have been exceedingly poor. So poor, in fact, that Warner Brothers has decided to stop releasing box office numbers or even sharing them with other distributors. But, but nevertheless, we've, we've learned that the, the box office take has been little more than $20 million in its two weeks of release in the United States, where about um, 70% of theaters are open. And that figure of $20 million also includes Canada and Montreal itself, where theaters are um, almost entirely open, including, um, including that of Cavendish Mall, you know, at least for now. But worldwide, worldwide, Tenet has done uh, a little better um, in raking in over $200 million in total, including a full quarter of which comes from China, by the way. But, but that's still not a good number, um, especially when you factor in that there is so little competition at the box office right now with uh, most other films, um, at least big budget films, held in abeyance for now. Um, Tenet, it's said, needs to make something in the range of 450 to $500 million just, just to break even. It, it's cost more than $200 million. It's um, current overall box office take as I speak and as I understand it right now. But of course, you have to factor in such things as marketing and um, and um, and other aspects as well. Now, by way of comparison, earlier Christopher Nolan films like Inception, like Dunkirk, they made five hundred and forty million dollars and three hundred and forty million dollars, respectively. So, at two hundred million dollars, the pandemic's effect on on tenant specifically and on theatrical business in general, really everywhere, um, is, is, does still have something of a stranglehold on theaters. Um, even in Montreal, especially in Montreal, um, where social distancing and other health measures are, are very much in effect. Um, you know, in reducing room capacity by 25 to 50% in some cases. Not that that should make much of a difference to box office figures if people aren't rushing to the movies anyway. But, you know, the bottom line is that distributors are spooked about committing their big theatrical releases to um, any further 2020 dates. And... Um, that means a movie like Wonder Woman 1984, among others, um, 
has been delayed. And uh, in doing so, however unintentionally putting their de facto partners, the movie theaters themselves, in a very real danger. A very real danger of raising the possibility of theater chains shuttering for the duration of the pandemic or maybe even declaring bankruptcy. So all in all, it's not a good situation. And with very poor attendance generally, in addition to drastically increased cleaning costs, movie theaters are are very much operating at a loss right now. Uh, and oh, by the way, I've been reading that movie theater employees themselves often don't feel safe, um, you know, on the job with a lack of protective equipment uh, being a primary concern, as is having, you know, to clean theater spaces between screenings, not something I would enjoy myself. You know, suddenly I, I don't feel very good about spilling any of my popcorn last Monday um, when I went to see Tenet. But um, just think, those employees, they, they have to clean up such things as, you know, um, um, you know uh, spilled popcorn. In addition, just imagine discarded masks or such things as uh, straws or, or, you know, even tissues that some pat- patrons may just drop on the floor. But uh, in any case, right now, the, the big release, the big, the big release is still scheduled for 2020, our Black Widow, Widow and the new James Bond movie. Um, uh, those are the immediate, um, well, not so immediate new releases scheduled as uh, they won't be appearing before uh, November, as things stand right now. Though many expect them, um, those dates, to be moved to in, for a second time in both cases, by the way, <laughs> as they, they had, they, they've already been moved. They were, they were, they, they had already been scheduled for earlier in the year initially. Um, and after them, there, we might expect uh, the still scheduled big Hollywood releases of Denis Villeneuve's Dune, as well as uh, Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story remake. Um, but uh, we, we really don't know what will happen with them either. There's, we're, we're, we're just so much in uncharted territory right now. My own belief is that without a widely distributed vaccine, audiences will not be returning to movie theaters in any great number anytime soon, if ever, in fact. We do know from surveys that uh, about half of people do not feel comfortable in returning to movie theaters. They do not feel it is safe to do so. And this is especially true of older adults, particularly older women right now. My own thinking is that we may be in the throes of a fundamental change in which the theatrical experience becomes a distant, a very distant secondary one to the streaming of content at home. I mean, there's such a lot to watch right now at home and, and, and very safely, very safely. So that people may begin to forget about the theatrical experience altogether, especially with all the big streaming services now creating their own highly attractive programming. Um, And that's, that's only going to continue, I think. And inevitably take hold even among long-resistant adults who may have taken a little while to 
to get acquainted with streaming services, but 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 who ultimately may not want to go back to theaters in any large number at all. I mean, let's face it, some habits, once broken, they never resume, right? And in the meantime, theaters would only have marginally popular new films to play for at least the next two months, by which time all big releases might have been moved to next year in any case, or, you know, gone directly to video on demand, though that's another story I won't get much into right now. Uh, but just consider the live-action Mulan, which Disney has released to its streaming subscription service, Disney Plus, in lieu of theaters. But uh, even having done that, it has not fared much better than Tenet, as there has been much resistance, as I understand it, to paying the additional 29 dollars and 99 cents on top of the subscription cost in order to see it. So video on demand isn't necessarily a solution either to um, big so-called tentpole movies. Though I think it certainly would work for modestly budgeted ones like, uh, you know, rom-coms and family-oriented fare in general. In any case, we may have reached the point where $200 billion plus blockbusters like Tenet, like my James Bond movies, have become unsustainable in the future. Okay, folks, that's the, th the thought I'm going to leave you with for now. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this, um, this, uh, this edition of Lockdown Viewing and that you will enjoy, uh, 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 join me next time. Uh, my name is Stephen Tomlinson. I'm the librarian. I'm a librarian here, excuse me, at the Coast St. Luke Public Library. Uh, Yes, please join me next time for more movie and television talk. And remember, if you have any comments or questions, you can best reach me at stomlinson at codesaintluke.org or by means of the library's Facebook page or even by calling the library itself at 514-485-6900 and leaving a message. All the best, happy viewing, and bye-bye for now. Well, that is today's episode of the Code St. Luke podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to our guests and thank you to you for listening here today. The show is produced by me, Daryl Levine. The telephone broadcasting service and podcast was launched as a way to get content into your home during the pandemic period. As you know, we had to stop our events at the library and at Parks and Recreation. So we hope you're enjoying the podcast as a sort of a virtual way of getting the content to you so you can hear your favorite speakers at home. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. Every rating and review helps others to find the show. Have a great day.